Okay, if you have your Bibles, we're continuing through this this book of 1 Corinthians. And, you know, there's a reason why we go through the Bible every week, verse by verse, portion by portion. We've been through, oh, three quarters of the New Testament this way and, and a good portion of the Old Testament. And, and it's not because we're afraid that we might miss something, but one of the main reasons I do it is to convince you and I as we go through the scriptures systematically, that the message is the message. That the things that you and I talk about, the things that we see over and over in the pages of scripture, we're showing this amazing message of God. That's a little bit of a change for me over the course of my Christian life, because what I used to do with the Bible is take it and search for timeless principles that I could apply to be a better person. And there are some of those things. There are neat principles in the Bible. But... But honestly, as we go through it over and over, my heart is that you would see the core, that you would see the gospel, because we're constantly bombarded with messages all week long in this world that push against the message of Jesus Christ. And you know what that leads me to do? It leads me to worry. I I know you might not think I'm a worrier, but I think almost every person I meet at some level has worry in their life. Sometimes it's because of circumstances, you know, things aren't going exactly as I think they should, so I worry, am I making the right decisions? Sometimes it's it's people doing things to me, and I worry about how they care for me. And, and, And really, in terms of Christians, as we step back and think about it, you and I, would you think about it with me for a minute? It can be that we question God's sovereignty. You know, is he big enough and strong enough to take care of me? I don't think we really, as Christians, really honestly struggle with that too much. The concept of a great and mighty God is kind of what the Bible presents cleanly. What I worry about, and what maybe you worry about, is, is he for me? Is my relationship okay? If I do something over here, will I lose it? Is he going to discipline me or is he going to hurt me because I'm doing something that's not right? Could I live a better, more fuller life if only I was a better person, you see? I worry about my relationship with him. And I don't know if that's really you or not, but, but, but for many of us, this is where it is. How do I keep God on my side? I can't see him because I worry. I worry about messing it up. I worry about our relationship. I know I'm not good enough. So this happens especially around, you know, the, the, the actions we take. If, if I do this, maybe he won't really take care of me. Maybe I was never his. Maybe there's some big bad things out there that if I do them, then, you know. Okay. So this, to me, into this sort of this worry, into this status of the human condition, in walks Paul. And he walks into this church in Corinth that he planted. He gave him the gospel. And there are churches that are Christians. He calls them saints and beloved of God. And at the same time, they are struggling. What are they struggling with? What to do? All these questions, you know, who's right, who's wrong, what are we doing? And let's get Paul to tell us so we won't worry so much. So, and Paul spent these last couple of chapters, we're going to the end of chapter 10 today, and he spent the last couple of chapters talking about this issue of food. What can you eat? 
because that was such a big part of how they thought about worship, and, and they were worried. And, and, and you and I, we've lost the food issue, but we haven't lost the worry issue. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you from the text just this amazing reality that we're Christ's alone. And for you to realize that truth, for you not to worry so much, and for you to be considerate, and how to think about that as a Christian. That's what we're doing today from the text. Let's take a look. It's great. It's first is to realize the truth. We're going to look at that first, and we're going to pick it up in verse 18 of chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, that's where we are. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18. Paul writes this. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? <laughs> You're going to, whoa, kind of starting at 60 miles an hour. What is What is this? Yeah, he, he steps back, right? He says, okay, what I'd like you to do as we start this next piece, as we start a section, is I want you to consider the people of Israel. Okay, let's consider them, the Israelites, the Jewish nation. Back in the day, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? So, so you know what would happen, right? Is that they would bring an, an offering there to God, and, and it was their thinking wasn't, um, we don't do sacrifices that way, so we kind of don't think about this. But, but here it was, they would make an offering, and some of them were totally consumed, but many of them were not. Part of it was consumed by God or used there in the temple, and part of it right at the place was eaten by people. The whole idea is that it's like a meal, right? That, that the deity consumes part of the meal and you consume part of the meal. You're in fellowship with God. And, and so a, a way that they thought, and they thought here in Paul's day, is that what would happen is, is that it, it's not often that it, it didn't happen this way, that they thought about it as fellowship, the sacrificial meal. And the priests even there, the priests would get a portion. Why? Because they participated in, in God's offering and in the worship and the sacrifice. Now, now this is really important because what it showed is that the priests who ate of the offering there in the temple who were serving God, they were participating in the very act of worship that Israel was doing to maintain fellowship with God. Why is it so important? That doesn't sound very important. Who cares? Because of where we come from. Back up two verses with me. If you got your eyes, go up two verses. But take a look and remember where we were last week. This cup of blessing that we bless, Paul wrote, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body. We all partake of the one bread. It's amazing what he's saying. He's saying you and I are, are participating in Christ Jesus when we take the Lord's table. That's what he's talking about. This idea that you and I have taken in the blood of Christ, you and I have participated in that means we are in him. That's the thing that brings us in him. Not the act of, of eating, but the receiving of the body and blood of Jesus. Have you received the body and blood of Jesus? If you've confessed Christ, the answer is, yeah, that's our only hope, receiving Jesus. If you've received Jesus, you've become part of that worship. You've done it. It's that strong. We are participating in the relationship established by that sacrifice. And Hebrews talks about it as a once-for-all sacrifice. So this idea becomes that you and I have entered into a once-for-all sacrifice. Some people are participating in the blood of Christ. That means we are His. 
full stop. That's what Paul's saying. I have terrible trouble with this, but this is the reality. We are Jesus's. We are God's. Christ is ours. It's not a potential or possibility if you continue to do special good things or if you mind your P's and Q's, if you cross your T's and dot your I's. This is about that that once-for-all sacrifice and have you taken him in. Consider Israel, he says then, after that, right? (laughs) Consider Israel then. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? Did you not, if you participated and ate, of Christ, are you not his? It's a rhetorical question. Paul knows the answer. It is yes. The answer is yes. This is a big deal for how you and I think of ourselves. The reality, the truth of in Christ by participating in the sacrifice, his sacrifice, and that's the issue of have you participated, partaken of Christ, and it's a simple receiving. It's not producing bread and wine, right? It's not producing wine to give to God. It's not producing bread to give to God. It's partaking of the the sacrifice that was given, who is Christ. And and it's interesting, you know, even in Israel's case, they were bringing of themselves to sacrifice to God. But the reality is God had told Abraham, I will provide a lamb. It's amazing. We have Christ. Okay, so so I just I wanted you to see that as we start, that the whole context that he's bringing in, where he's thinking, Paul is, is he starts this line of thought. The thought as this is break in, in verse 19, the next verse, is that he's bringing in this idea that we are Christ alone. Stop. Because I bring in to that, okay, I get it, that's true. But now I want to worry. Let's look. Let's look at don't worry so much. Because here he goes. He says then in verse 19, which is a break in the passage, he says, well, what do I imply then? I just brought up how amazing it is that you're in Christ, and I brought up the example of Israel's sacrifices. So is it this sacrifice idea, this food idea then, becomes this really important idea? What do I imply then, that food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? What, What am I saying, says Paul. So he asks these four rhetorical questions, see? We're going to unpack them. He starts with, what am I saying then? His concerns, am I saying that idols are important? Am am I saying that they're anything? By the way, the language here doesn't mean that he's saying they don't exist. He's saying, are they important? So you think about it for a minute, all the idols that we know. And we're tempted because of passages in Jeremiah or Isaiah where idols are carved out of wood and stone to say that any idol is simply nothing. Something made up. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying that the idols are made up. He's asking, are they important? This becomes actually critical for us because, because if there are actual idols out there, then the issue becomes, if I stumble and I start to worship an idol, what's going to happen? I think this sort of thinking grew us down the line for many years and occasionally raises its head in Christianity about, oh no, if I do this, I'll be defiled. The backward masking stuff in music, the movies you shouldn't ever go to, the hide in your cave and make sure the world doesn't get you. But, but Paul's actually saying, hey, there's the, the, that's a question that you should have. Am I saying then that if you participate with 
idols that, man, you're gonna you're going down. And then we start thinking, well, how's my behavior been last week? What did I do? No, he says. Not that they don't exist, but are they important? Are they important? No, he says. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I don't want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. It's almost like a silly thing, but but there are people who really think this kind of idea. So Paul says, no, 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 you cannot do that. You cannot go and if you've partaken of Christ, if you've taken him in, if you put your faith in Christ, you can't then go and also partake in the table of demons. I don't want you to do that. That's silliness. Why would you do that? How could you do that? It's a huge statement. Paul, Paul is saying, hey, when I say that when people out there do worship of pagans, they aren't offering up to God. That's important. And secondarily, he's saying, Paul's saying, I'm not saying go worship other gods. I'm saying you can't do both. Right? Because otherwise you'll, you'll, you'll be crazy. This thought pattern that we slip into, it's, have you ever seen this silly kids thing where they're walking down the street and they say, oh no, I don't want to step on a crack. I'll break my mother's back. Silliness, but we try to get all these behaviors to try and make sure we're doing the right things at the right time. He's not saying that. He's not saying, watch out. If you eat the wrong food, something might happen to you. No. Quite the contrary. You can't step on the wrong stone. You can't eat the wrong food. Because you are Christ alone. Because we've realized that truth, right? We started with that. Maybe I didn't emphasize it strongly enough. You are Christ alone by his sacrifice and your participation in it. Stop. If that's true, and I eat a food, Paul's saying, who cares? If that's true, and I go to a movie, who cares? (laughs) If that's true, and I go drink a beer, Who cares? What's important to you? I am Christ's. That's the flavor of what he's saying. If you go do anything and you're Christ, you're Christ's. That's not you participating in demons, like somehow you're going to take away the participation of Christ and get rid of it. You're Christ's alone. We take this into morals a lot. Man, if you were unkind when you should have been kind, kind, man, I'm not sure you're really Christ anymore. What's the whole message of the Bible? Jesus died for me. I receive him. If I've received him, I'm I'm his. Do I mess up? Yeah, and I would use a lot stronger word than mess. A lot. But that doesn't take away from the, what we've seen over and over in the pages of Scripture. And here Paul's taking it into the realm of, of actual cultic worship, of actually whether you eat something that's been dedicated to another god, and he's saying, hey, you, you can't get dedicated to another god if you have Christ. It's wonderful. You, you can't do it. And he even says this, and he says, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? 
Are we stronger than he? Again, in my, in my flesh, this is what I want to do with this statement. Yeah, I better be careful. I better not provoke the Lord to jealousy. I remember when they provoked the Lord to jealousy. And, and yet, they're under a whole different covenant. Did they partake of Christ? No, they're in the sacrificial system. It prefigured Christ. If they're saved, it's through Christ, these Israelites. But, but I'll tell you what. I am Christ by his sacrifice. Am I stronger than Jesus? Am I somehow going to say, no, I'm going to get out of your hand, Jesus? I'm getting out of here because I'm going to go do something that you really don't like, and that's going to make you say, I'm going to let go of you. Am I stronger than Jesus? That's what he's saying, right? The answer is no. No, you will not provoke the Lord to jealousy because you are not stronger than him. We we are not stronger than the Lord. He has made us by the blood of Christ. We are not able to get away. We are Christ alone. We're not the determiner of in and out. Christ is. We aren't the decider of good and evil. God is. God says we are his by Christ and his sacrifice. Are you stronger than him? What's our answer? No. I mean, we got to soak this in a minute because when you step back and think about God and he's the ruler of the universe and he made everything and everything's held together by him and everything is under his rulership and ownership and we sit there and say, and he's deigned to buy Christ alone to come in and, and, and this powerful God with the blink of his eye, he can make all of earth disappear and he's decided to come down and, and, and die so that you and I can live and he did that and then you and I put our faith in Jesus and we're weak little people. But we think, oh, now, if I take the wrong step, I might thwart him? What a crazy way to think. (laughs) We're silly people. (laughs) That we might somehow think we're going to thwart the God of the universe who's given us Jesus. Our perspective gets all off, doesn't it? So, this is what I want you to see. We're like protected. Not because we're good or well-behaved or we don't drink or we don't chew. No, because we've participated in Christ. He's strong enough. we got to soak this in. and you got to not worry so much. I worry so much about what am I going to do. I worry so much about, man, am I keeping God on the, on the good side of the balance sheet? Am I making sure everything's so lined up just right? And there I am, and I'm focusing on me all day long. I forget that I'm totally held by who? Jesus. His sacrifice once and for all for me. The power of the God of the universe is keeping me. That's the verse in First Peter, right, where it says that you and I are kept by the power of God for an inheritance to be revealed in the last days. Kept by the power of God. Where's the things I do in there? They're not there. This is the critical bottom piece. It's not that we don't do things out of that. We're going to look at one we do right away. But I'm telling you, if you don't get that, you won't get any of it because you'll constantly be looking at, oh no, I'm worried. I'm anxious. Am I doing the right thing? Am I walking the right way? And I said, man, be it, and we, we pull out little verses of scripture that seem to support this thinking that it's so important about me, me, me. I remember one of them I got a lot in seminaries from from uh, Timothy. You know, Paul writes to Timothy. He says, pay attention to your life and your ministry. So basically, pay attention to what you teach and pay attention to how you live. 
And he says that to Timothy, you know, and so I said, oh, no, i got to pay attention to my life and my ministry. If I don't do that, you know, I'm telling you, God might spit me out. Because there's also this verse in Revelation about him spitting out some people that were lukewarm. I better make sure I'm not lukewarm. That leads me down a whole pathway that starts to do what? Undermine the strength of Jesus Christ's sacrifice for me. I'm supposed to trust Christ. What am I trusting? What is it that you're trusting? I'm trusting that his blood saves me. I don't save me. His blood saves me. And it saves me, and he's strong enough to do it, and I can't get out of his hand. In fact, Jesus says, doesn't he, of the ones you've given me, I won't lose a single one. These are remarkable things. I'm so prone to what? To worry. I'm prone to make deals with God. Lord, if you'll give me this good thing, I'll do this with it. Lord, if you do this, I'll do this back. What am I doing? I'm undermining the very reality that my only hope is in Jesus. I'm starting to say I've got strength, not Jesus has strength. I'm starting to worry. I'm not going to get the things that I want to get because maybe God won't give them to me. So if I make a bargain with this deal guy of the universe, he'll give me the things I really want. <laughs> we need to soak this in. Now, somebody will say, I know, somebody will say, yes, but the Lord disciplines. You know what? He does. You know what that is? Fantastic. Isn't it awesome when your dad, who loves you, disciplines you because he loves you? You lean into that. You don't run from it. You don't run away from the, I hope the Lord never disciplines me. No, he's disciplining you all the time. Why? Because you're a stinking, terrible miscreant. You don't do all the things you should do. What does your loving father do? I adore you, child. Here, I'm going to give you this because it's going to help you. When I'm really at it with my with my kids and I see that they're going somewhere that's not good, oh man, I don't I, I, I discipline them in a way that I love them. The very best thing is when they come back around and they give me a hug and they say, Thanks, Dad. I needed that. We need it, you know. This whole idea is that he's got us. He's not gonna let us go. If he's got us, he's got us. We're in his family. We're not longer slaves. We read it this morning in Galatians 3 to 4. We're no longer slaves. We're free. We're no longer slaves. We're sons. And if sons, heirs. Heirs to what? The favor of God. We're not trying to climb our way up to favor with God. We're not trying to worm our way in and make sure, man, we get them in a row so that we're in the kingdom. We're in the kingdom. You can't be, you can't be taken away. So we should not worry so much because most of my worry is around the idea that I got to keep God happy with me that it really is important the steps that I take that I'm going to make myself unclean if I step wrongly and Paul says no okay so worry less see because worry about making sure you're acting so perfectly is actually often taking away from Christ you're unsure if he was enough Maybe him plus your good actions secures God's favor for you. No. <laughs> Reject that. Because he has you. And so we soak in it. And we get it in our hearts. And then we start to 
it, it starts to flavor all the things we do. Not out of worry, out of response. Let's look at that for a minute. And the area that we're looking at this morning is be considerate. Okay, be considerate. It's not a new law, because he says in verse 23, again, we've heard this before, back in chapter 8 and 9, he says, all things are lawful to me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Okay, again, think with me. Okay, don't lose this. Here we go. We're talking about, okay, I'm Christ. I'm Christ. I shouldn't worry so much. And, and, and then the reality is, every, everything's free. You're free. He put quotes around it, but Paul isn't disagreeing with this, like it's some flavor or slogan that they had. It's all things are permissible. Yeah, all things are permissible. But we're just thinking now about what's helpful. That's the general thing, right? So now it's not like, oh, no, I'm under these laws, and if I don't do the laws right, God's going to kick me out. I'm a son. Now it's like, oh, man, I've been set free in Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm taken hold of by the king. I, I'm in the kingdom. It's so fantastic. Look what I get. And now you get to think about, okay, well, man, in wisdom, I, 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 don't, I don't think that one's helpful for me. That, that's really good. I mean, not everything helps me. Not everything builds up. And I want to build up. I want to build up other people. I want to tell them about this great love, this great treasure that I've found. So, so I need to think about how that works. And He's not thinking about behavior like it's proving something or like it's keeping me safe or that it's ensuring God's protection or that somehow it's making me better. He's thinking about it in terms of what's helpful. Because you know what? There are people who are weak. That's what we've looked at, and he says it right here too in verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. He says, I want you to think about other people. It's not specific. Like when he says that, he's thinking, well, okay, here's a new rule for you. You don't worry about yourself, but the guy next door, your neighbor, worry about him. No, this is like other people. It's very generic. It's a very generic term. He says, don't don't seek your own good because, because honestly, you, you, you've got it. You've got Christ, right? But your neighbor might need it. You have this treasure, this amazing treasure. God is for you. You've tasted the most miraculous thing that has ever been created. God for you. So th- think about sharing that treasure with other people. Looks like this, he says. Eat whatever's sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It looks like, and we've covered this before, you can go back and listen to the message he's been working on this theme. It looks like, I don't care. It means nothing to me if some meat was sacrificed to another idol. Why? Because I'm free. I'm in Christ. It can't disqualify me or make me less pure or anything like that. I am so free. I can eat eat anything. By the way, I think it's really interesting. He does this little quote, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It's an Old Testament quote that goes and says, wait, think about it. There may be many other deities, but there's only one deity who has made everything. You talk about power. We've got the God of power. We're his. That means I can go anywhere and eat anything because he made everything I see. Everything I look at, I'm in that family, the family of this God who owns everything you've ever thought of. He says he's mine and I'm in his family. And so when I'm in a position and I get to do something, I'm free. Free, you're not going to hurt me. 
There's no, oh, no. There's no navel-gazing. I get to eat whatever there is. He says, there's no contamination for you. Everything's the Lord. And I know. I've eaten some really weird things, you guys. I don't know about you. I was in China. I ate uh, monkey brain. It was kind of gross. I ate uh, dog. I'm sorry. I ate um, one of the things, though, I'd like why I'm bringing this up is that one time my students had me eat these little gelatinous cubes of stuff, and I'm like, ah, it's pudding. It's okay. It's a little bland. Then they sniggered. They said, you just ate pig's blood. You can't eat that, can you? You're a Christian. You can't eat pig's blood. I'm like, um, I think you mix religions. <laughs> That'd be Jewish people, not me. But, you know, there are people, and I know people, even Christians, don't want to eat pig's blood. Why? Because Old Testament regulations say don't eat the blood of pigs. Does it matter to me? No. Eat whatever you want. <laughs> and that's the thing, right? Is it, it was terrible, by the way. I don't recommend it. It was gross. But I could eat it. I mean, it's not like it's disqualifying to me. And, but, but I stand as Christ because of Christ, and nothing takes me away, period. And, and, and that's not saying, oh, well, then go sin. Nothing's further than the truth. Sin is wrong. Don't do it. But I'm pure because of Jesus. Not because of some striving I do or eating the right thing. You can't unpurify me. I'm not on a, on, I'm not on a pathway to try and get more pure. I'm pure by the blood of Jesus. That's why he says don't raise any objection on the ground of conscience. Why? Because my conscience is pure because of Jesus. Everything that I do, I look at, hey, I've been covered by Christ. My purity, my, my, my holiness is because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. He has set me apart. Why? Because I participated in his blood. Is bread. It's not communion, except in a spiritual sense. Him for me. Okay, so 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 there we go. If one of the unbelievers, verse twenty-seven, invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever's set before you without raising any ground, the ground of conscience. We just read that and says, but if someone says to you, "This has been offered in sacrifice," then don't eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you, for the sake of conscience, I don't, I don't mean your conscience, but his. Why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? See what he's saying? It's actually really amazing and good. He's saying, okay, here it is. If someone comes and they're all worried because they can't do it and they're limited and they're weak and there they are and they're going, man, you can't eat food dedicated to idols. You can't go to that movie. You can't do that thing. No way. You're going to defile yourself because he says, I, they're, what they're saying is they think they're defiled by it. Then says, hey, if that's going to hurt them somehow, I, I don't want to do it. I'd say, no way. Hey, that's fine. Around you, I'll never do that thing. Hopefully you get stronger, buddy. But I, I wouldn't want to lead you into sinning against your own conscience. He says very clearly, though, do you see it, how amazing it is? This says, for the sake of conscience, not yours. I'm free. I see the freedom in Christ. I see that I'm not made impure by a single thing. But for them, their conscience, I so want you to see the only thing that matters is Jesus. And if you're just going to focus on this little thing I'm doing over here, I'm not going to do it. Not around you. That's the whole message we went after before. You see what he's doing? 
Don't take in other people's weaknesses. Don't allow the weaker brother to set your conscience, is what he's saying. That's super important to you and me. I can't let the person who thinks they get, they get dispurified, they get unclean because of something they do. I can't let that brother think that I also should think that way. I don't think that way. You shouldn't think that way. It's not true. There's no way. But if I see my brother who I love and I want them to have the treasure of Christ and they're going to get all down this 10-year pathway of getting off and fighting over this silly thing that doesn't matter, guess what I don't want to do? Make that matter. Right? That's being considerate. That's because I actually think the main thing is the main thing. There's nothing wrong with food offered to idols here. You don't have to somehow believe it, like your conscience should be hurt. By the way, someone will say, oh, Dax, you might sear your conscience. Searing your conscience is a very strange thing that I don't think actually is a biblical concept, except in a very specific sense. You can look at that particular passage, but there are people with seared consciences, and that means they've never received Christ. You and I who have received Christ have a cleansed conscience. It's not like some some little thing saying, what can I do and not do? What can I do and not do? It's my rule book. It's not that. It's this thing that says, am I clean? And we're clean all the time. Because of this, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Right? Because this is the heavy hand on things are really clean. There's no question. If you're thankful in your heart to God who made everything, if you're, if you're walking through life not worrying, which, which by the way, thankful in your heart is a sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. Go check it out. You got the Holy Spirit. Then why would you be disqualified? So, so, so you can be thankful for fellowship as you smoke cigars with the guys. You can be thankful for provision as you eat a rare steak. Even though, man, don't eat rare steaks, the doctor says. Certainly not rare seafood. Sushi's really scary after parasitology class. But, but is it disqualifying? No way. Thankful for f- family as I watch Despicable Me in 3D. The activities of life, you don't worry so much. And and somebody there says, oh, don't you know there's evil scene that's against God? I'm like, hey, if if it offends you, I'm not going to put it in your face. I'm going to be considerate of you. But don't denounce me. I'm clean because of Jesus. That's from our reading even today in Galatians 4. It says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is stated as fact by Paul, not as a maybe if you stay clean and make sure you men do good things. Okay, we need to finish, but I'd like to make sure we get through the end. So here's the end. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, the first verse of chapter 11, as I am of Christ. Do you see where we've been all the way through here? Do you see what Paul's done all the way through? And here he started with, man, you're in Christ. You can't be let go. You participated in the body and blood of Jesus. These actions that you do, they don't disqualify you or make you impure. God made everything. But be considerate. And then he says this. 
Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I'll tell you what, I think this verse has done more damage to people than good sometimes. Because instead of thinking of this concept and this context of not worrying so much, we bring it into, I'm going to try and figure out what I do that glorifies God more. And therefore you go right down the track that we've just talked about not going down. Do you see that? Now, I'm going to sit down and say, okay, okay, I'll do everything in the glory of God. So which thing that I do glorifies God more? Is it better to eat the meat or not to eat the meat? And if I can figure that out, then I'll always pick the one that's not. And you know what? It's always better not to eat the meat, so I'm not going to do it. What's going to glorify God more? If I go to the movies or not go to the movies? Well, it's way better if I don't expose my kids to these bad things, so I'm never going to go to the movies. It glorifies God more, and I decide for myself what glorifies God more. And that's not what he's saying. Don't take it in. What's the glory of God? The glory of God is Christ. The glory of God is the reality of what he's done, the announcement of the gospel, the glorious, wondrous treasure that he's bestowed upon you. Do it all in light of that, he says. Do everything in light of Christ and what he's done for you, which in this context means do everything in the realization that Jesus has you from start to finish. Do everything in that light. Don't use this phrase to introduce worry. The whole point has been don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, but do everything to the glory of God. Ugh. I'm going to worry a lot. Don't worry about it. Focus on the reality that Jesus has you. That's the glory of God. Paul has said all this, and now you're not going to hit this phrase and throw it all away. Do everything in the realization Jesus has you. Please everyone because you want them to know Jesus. That's all. Not because that's what keeps me before God. I already have that. And to somehow, if I suggest something else, I'm, I'm denying the glory of God in Christ. Don't do it. Be imitators of Paul, who was free all the way through, free in conscience, thinking of nothing except the wonder that Christ loves him. And so that's, that's humbling because it's not about us, but it's freeing. Jesus didn't meet expectations, you know, like the Pharisees wanting him to keep the Sabbath. He didn't hold to the forms, and yet he thought of others more than anyone because he gave his life for them. That's what he's saying. Okay, we need to be done. Realize the truth. You're in Christ. Oh, that you might see it this morning. You might believe it. That you who have participated in the supper, you have put your faith in the body and blood of Jesus. You're his, by his strength, not yours. That secondly, what that leads us to is don't worry so much. Because when you worry so much, you take away from that. You're kind of showing that you don't believe it. And thirdly, if it is true, you can be considerate. We don't need to impose our stuff on other people. They're, they're the Lord's too. Instead, we can love them because we got the best message ever. Jesus Christ, Him crucified.